Welcome back to Certain Comfort in Uncertain Times. A look at the book of Revelation that we are filming in uh, during the COVID-19 crisis in 2020. And we reach today uh, the latter half of Revelation chapter 8 in a message that I've entitled, Here We Go Again, History and the End of History Repeating Itself. One of the things that can take us a little while to get used to as we read Scripture is that a scripture, although it tells a story uh, from beginning to, en- to the end, uh, will often cycle back and repeat itself and tell the same thing in different ways. I remember hearing a Matt Chandler sermon once where he told his church that he didn't know if he, they had recognized it, but he essentially preaches the same sermon week after week. Uh, and I've, I identify with that, and I've actually used that line uh, with people who have been in my ministry over the years. And the reason why we as preachers can really preach the same sermon over and over and over again is because there is in that story that Scripture is telling a, a, several major points that it tells over and over and over again, sometimes in narrative or history, sometimes in poetry, sometimes in prophecy. Uh, but it, it emphasizes the same point over and over and over again. And especially as you get to the New Testament uh, and the cross becomes the interpretive lens through which we should read, we should read Scripture, you start to see that theme throughout all of Scripture. And what's true of Scripture as a whole is true of the book of Revelation. We approach it and we tend to, to think, well, it tells a story starting in the beginning and going to the end, and it's a strict linear progression uh, that we can follow along and chart out and make timelines and charts and Um, But as I've argued, I don't think that's the right way to read Revelation. It does tell a story. It does start in the past and move forward to the future. And yet, even in the midst of telling that story of the end times, uh, it's not a strict linear progression. It cycles back on itself. It tells part of the story, then goes back and retells it in a different way. And we see that here as we approach the first four of the seven trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along as I read Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. I looked and heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blast that the three angels 
are about to sound. Well, as I've mentioned, the trumpet judgments are not the content of the seventh seal, as though this is uh, the further judgment on top of the seal judgments. And if you want to know why I think that, you can go back and listen uh, to the message on Revelation 8, 1 through 5. Uh, but rather these three cycles of judgments that we see in the book, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bold judgments, they're not occurring subsequently, one after another, but concurrently. Uh, they are all ways of describing the events that take place in the world throughout the church age, in, in the time between the two comings of Christ. They are kicked off by Jesus uh, rising from the dead, ascending back into heaven and taking his place on the throne of God, and will conclude when he once again returns to earth. And so the trumpet judgments are a different way of looking at uh, the end times from what we saw in the seal judgments. And this is evident even in the fourth trumpet, which causes a third of the sun, moon, and stars to go out. Uh, even though in the sixth seal, if we were looking at this concur uh, subsequently, one after another, in the sixth seal, the sun had already gone black, the moon had already become like blood, and the stars had already fallen from the sky. And so if we take this with a wooden literalism in terms of symbolism, and if we take this in a wooden literalism in terms of order of progression, uh, then we really have no way that uh, in the fourth seal, a third of the lights in the sky could go out because they all are already out with the sixth seal. And so instead, what you see here is John saying the same thing in a different way. He's receiving another vision that kind of uh, puts a different spin on the vision he had received in chapters uh, 6 and 7 and into chapter 8. It's the same a uh, different way of looking at the same thing or of looking at the same picture from a different vantage point. And you see that even in some of the symbols that are used. And so as we argued uh, back looking at chapter 6, what you had in the seal judgments, especially as they culminated towards the end of them, was a retelling of the creation story. And so you had, instead of creation, you had decreation. Uh, culminating in the, in the silence of the seventh seal, culminating in once again the earth being broken down into chaos with God in silence hovering over creation, ready to make something new out of what he had brought to an end. And now as you come into the trumpet judgments, starting in chapter 8, instead of the creation story, you have really a retelling of the Exodus story with all the, the symbolism uh, being very connected with the exodus and the taking of the promised land uh, in the early books of the Old Testament. And so what you have here in the trumpet judgments is a new way of telling the old story. It's a new way of telling the story of the end times that John has already told once and is now circling back and telling again. And there are two main contexts for trumpets in the Old Testament that should help us interpret what this passage is saying. Again, as I've repeated throughout these messages, that Revelation has almost as many Old Testament quotations and references as the rest of the New Testament combined. And so the key to interpreting much of the book is to understand what Old Testament references it is making. 
And the two main contexts for trumpets in the Old Testament are judgment and victory. Trumpets being blown could symbolize God's judgment coming, and they could also symbolize military victory. And both of those contexts are at play here in this passage, as we'll see. And so as we look at the first of the four, uh, first four of the seven trumpet judgments, there are, are three aspects to these judgments uh, that I want to draw out, or three things that are, they're telling us about what God is doing in history. Because again, as I've, as I've said, I think these seal, trumpet, and bold judgments are things that characterize history from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ, starting at the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and continuing on until he comes again. And just as the first four of the seal judgments uh, were things that cyclically, cyclically took place, and then five, six, and seven are kind of the end of history, so we see in the trumpet judgments. These first four trumpets are things that will take place throughout history, throughout the church age, throughout the end times that we are living in, and then the last three are the culmination of that into the end of days. And so there's three things that this tells us about what God is doing in the events of history that we are living in. And the first is that God is bringing judgment upon the world. God is bringing judgment upon the world. For anyone familiar with the Old Testament, uh, the judgments of the first four seals should sound familiar. And they should immediately draw our minds back to Exodus and the plagues that God had sent upon Egypt through Moses and Aaron. As I mentioned earlier, the seal judgments are the retelling of the creation story and the trumpet judgments are the retelling of the Exodus story. The first trumpet brings hail and fire, which is reminiscent of the seventh plague on Egypt. The second trumpet turns water into, the, into blood and the third trumpet makes water undrinkable which is reminiscent of the first plague on Egypt. And the fourth trumpet brings darkness over the land, reminiscent of the ninth plague of Egypt. And the result of these four trumpets is also the result of the plagues of Egypt in general, the very things which the world trusts in to provide for them have been undermined and rendered powerless. And especially in this context, the food and water supplies, and the commercial systems that provide them to the people. The, uh, the grass dies out, which means livestock can't feed, and of course agriculture shuts down. The drinking water becomes undrinkable. The ships, which were a vital part of commerce, are destroyed. Uh, and the, the very things which people trust in to make life livable start to unravel. And you don't have to look very far to see how this plays out in human history. Uh, even in our, our own country and our own times, uh, we only need to think of the, the hoof and mouth disease uh, that decimated cattle herds in California in the 1920s, uh, the mad cow disease that did the same thing in the United Kingdom in the 1990s, the Flint water crisis, which is still ongoing today, six years after it first came to light, uh, the recent windstorms uh, in August of 2020 that have devastated much of Iowa's cornfields and therefore Iowa's economy, or even the food shortages 
that characterized so much of the country at the start of the COVID-19 crisis back in the spring of 2020. And so we see throughout human history this disruption continually over and over again of our food and water supplies, of commercial systems. Whereas famine was one of, the, one of the judgments when the seals were broken, famine here in the trumpet judgments takes center stage. But even the fact that these judgments are limited, uh, affecting only a third of the earth, a third of the stars, a third of the seas, is significant in that it points that this is only one aspect of judgment. Uh, this is only one aspect of, of the things that God is going to use to judge the world and its inhabitants during these last days. And this repeated reference to a third is most likely a callback to Ezekiel chapter 5, where in verse 12, it says, A third of your people will die by plague and be consumed by famine within you. A third will fall by the sword all around you. And I will scatter a third to every direction of the wind. And I will draw a sword to chase after them. In other words, we don't always experience every aspect of judgment. But chances are that as we live in these last days, we in our times will experience some level of judgment. We will experience one of the four horsemen that we saw in the seal judgments. We will experience famine. We will experience pestilence. We will, we will experience war. We will experience persecution or we will experience natural disasters as the created order rebels against mankind. And so uh, the fact that this famine uh, of these four trumpets only affects a third of the earth is really uh, both a call back to the Old Testament and the apocalyptic literature there, uh, but also a reference that this is one aspect of God's judgment on the earth. And as you look at the aspects of this judgment that God is bringing, it really has a twofold purpose as we refer back to the Old Testament again to help us interpret Revelation. And those two purposes are that, is that at first it overthrows the world and secondly it purifies the church. God in the midst of these trumpet judgments, in the midst of the famine, in the midst uh, of the natural uh, disorder that starts to characterize life in these last days is overthrowing the world and purifying the church. We see this in the second and the third trumpets. In the second trumpet, uh, which turns the water to blood, the, the thing that turns the water to blood is that the trumpet hurls something like a great mountain ablaze with fire into the sea. And this is a callback to Jeremiah, where the mountain symbolizes Babylon, uh, which in the Old Testament and in Revelation is a symbol of the world system aligned against God. Babylon uh, becomes this figurehead, uh, not referencing necessarily just the ancient empire, but really the created order aligned together against its creator. And in Jeremiah chapter 51, we see this idea of the mountain of Babylon being hurled into the sea. In Jeremiah 51, 25, it says, Look, I am against you, devastating mountain. This is the Lord's declaration. You devastate the whole earth. 
I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you down from the cliffs, and turn you into a charred mountain. Then in verse 42, the sea has risen over Babylon. She is covered with its tumultuous waves. And in verses 63 to 64, when you have finished reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates River. Then say, in the same way, Babylon will sink and never rise again because of the disaster I am bringing on her. They will, will grow weary. And this shows us that the purpose of these judgments is just like the plagues. God is using these judgments throughout the church age as he did the plagues in Egypt to overthrow the world aligned against him by undermining the very things that people trust in instead of trusting in him. If you've ever read a book on the plagues uh, or heard a sermon on the plagues, you are most likely aware that each plague was targeting a different Egyptian god. And it was God's way of showing the Egyptian people that these gods that they were believing in, that they were trusting in, were really no gods at all, and that it was he, the God of Israel, who was the only true God. And he is doing the same thing in these last days. He undermines our gods. He undermines the things that we trust in, our food and water supplies, our commercial systems, our medical systems, our governments, our political ideologies. He will undermine everything that we trust in other than him. For the same effect, uh, for many Egyptians, God was, through these plagues, showing them that their gods were not really gods at all. And yet many of them, symbolized by Pharaoh himself, hardened their hearts against God. And so his judgment fell on them as individuals as it fell on the nation of Egypt. But that's not God's only purpose for these judgments. He is not only overthrowing the world system and everything that we trust in, he is also purifying the church. The third, the third trumpet, uh, the water is poisoned, and yet this time it's not by a mountain being thrown into the sea, but by a star. Uh, typically in the Old Testament, a symbol for an angelic being, a named wormwood who falls into the sea and poisons it, making it like wormwood. And this also finds its reference in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 15 says, Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies says concerning the prophets. I am about to feed them wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. In other words, just as the false prophets had spread poison among the people, leading them into ungodliness, so poison would be spread through the water. And so God is not just judging the nations, he's purifying his church. Both believers and unbelievers alike experience and suffer these judgments in the last days. But only the unbelievers, some of whom do inhabit the church, but only those who do not believe experience these judgments as punishment. Believers experience them as discipline, which should lead them to repentance and purification. And that's what we see uh, in the Exodus narrative that then gets brought in here through Revelation, as we know 
that background is that both believers and unbelievers alike experience these trumpet judgments. But for the unbeliever, they are punishment. They harden their hearts against their creator. And they ultimately experience the judgments as punishment. Whereas the believer, because he has a soft heart, will experience them as discipline and repent that the church might be purified. And so God is ridding us in the church of our gods as well. We, even in the church, are tempted to trust in things that are not God instead of trusting in our Creator, in our Redeemer. And so the effect in general is the same. It rids us of our gods. The difference is in what heart we have, a hardened heart or a soft heart. The soft heart turns from our gods and repents and trusts back in our Creator and Redeemer. And the hardened heart does not repent and therefore experiences the punishment for his sin. And so God is bringing judgment upon the world. But secondly, God is bringing salvation from the world. God is bringing salvation from the world. If you're familiar with the Exodus story and the plagues on Egypt, then you're familiar, of course, that the plagues culminate in the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, but also in the deliverance of the people of Israel who were delivered through the Passover, that by putting the blood of the lamb on their doorposts as prescribed by God, that the angel of death passed over them, and that the result of the 10th plague is that Pharaoh finally let the people go and the people were delivered. And that is the context for Revelation of chapter 8, because the context is Revelation chapter 7, which was the sealing of God's people. And the implication is that though the, the sealed people lived through the plagues, just as the people of Israel lived through the plagues of Egypt, the outcome is different. The plagues were judgment for Egypt, but deliverance for Israel. And the same thing seems to be true for the people of God who are living in these last days. That the plagues that are sent as judgment are judgment for Egypt, for metaphorical Egypt, for unbelievers in the world, for the world system as a whole. But it's deliverance for God's people. And we briefly mentioned that a little earlier. In the short term, God is freeing us from the tyranny of this world system and its gods. He is teaching us not to trust in this world, not to trust in our country or our government, not to trust in our employer or our stock portfolio, uh, not even to trust in our own work ethic, but rather to trust in Him. In many ways, God is using these judgments to teach us to pray what Jesus taught us in Matthew 6:11, give us today our daily bread. It is living through these judgments and these experiences that remind us that this world cannot give us what we need, that we ultimately must trust in God to give us even our daily bread. And you can see that even in, in the things that we are living through in 2020. Uh, through the pandemic, through the economic fallout, through all of the various things that are occurring, we are being shown time and time again that we cannot trust 
in this world system. Our medical systems are failing us. Our economic systems are failing us. Our educational systems are failing us. Uh, Even our religious systems are failing us. And ultimately, God is bringing us as believers to the point where we realize that He is the one that we should trust in. He is prying all of our little gods from our hands that we might grab hold of Him instead. But in the long term, He is freeing us from even having to live in this world system. As we saw in the sealed judgments, He is bringing all things to an end, marred by sin as they are, that He might remake all things new. And so he is in the long term using these judgments to bring about the end of all things so that the new heaven, the new earth will come and so that we will be given resurrected bodies and that we will live in a world untainted by sin where we will know that he is all that we need, that he is our only God because he will dwell with us, his real presence dwelling among us in a way that we have never experienced before. And so he is bringing our salvation from this world that even as judgment falls upon the world, he is using that to bring about our deliverance. Everything we see going on in 2020 ultimately is pushing us towards the end of all things, where then God will make all things new. But it's important that we realize the full Exodus story, lest we settle into an us versus them mentality. Uh, And this is unfortunately one of the things that I see for many believers as we read the book of Revelation, uh, influenced as we are by things like the Left Behind series, where we settle into in end times thinking a us versus them mentality, that there's some of us who are in the church who are saved and those who are not, and it becomes very us versus them. And we draw those black and white clear dividing lines between Israelites and Egyptians, between God's people and the world. And yet it's important to note that as we read the Exodus story, that God saves a lot more people than just the Israelites in the book of Exodus through the Exodus narratives. And you see that in Exodus 12 when Pharaoh finally lets the people go. And there's this little verse that I think we're tempted to skip over as we read, but it's Exodus 12, 38, which says, A mixed crowd also went up with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. That mixed crowd, or sometimes mixed multitude, uh, or uh, diverse crowd, it is a very diverse group. It's not just Israelites that come up out of the land. It's not just Israelites who are led out by Moses. Uh, but rather, it's a, it's a mixed group, a mixed multitude, a diverse multitude, likely including Egyptians and other foreigners who saw God's hand at work in the plagues, uh, especially culminating in the 10th plague, saw his deliverance of Israel and did not harden their hearts, but instead learned what the plagues were meant to show, that the gods of Egypt are no gods at all, And that the God of Israel is the only true living God. And so even in the Exodus, we see that God is delivering his people, but his people include more people than we would necessarily think. Uh, His family is a lot bigger than we would expect. And of course, the same thing is true for us now. 
As we go through these judgments with the world and we see people around us, uh, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends and family, uh, even perhaps just strangers or acquaintances that we don't really know, we are all going through these things together. We are all living through COVID-19 together. We are all experiencing all of the events of 2020 together. And what God is calling us to do is to discern those who heart, whose hearts are not being hardened. Because yes, we will see among our friends and family and co-workers and neighbors, we will see people whose hearts are hardened. And they live through 2020, they live through COVID-19 crisis, they live through all of the things that we've experienced, and it hardens their heart against God. But then there are others who these same events are softening, that they are learning, yes, the things that they were trusting in were not worth their trust. The gods that they were following are not gods at all. And may we discern those with soft hearts and meet them with the hope of the gospel. The book of Revelation is not just for us. It is, not, it is, it is a certain comfort for those who believe in Christ, but uh, its message is really discernible. Many of the symbols that we see would have been understandable not just to first century Jews, but to first century Greeks and Romans and Gentiles as well. And so this message of certain comfort in uncertain times, this message of hope that we have in the gospel, this message that, yes, we are experiencing these plagues, but these plagues are providing our deliverance instead of our condemnation. There are those uh, among us in our neighborhoods, our jobs, our families, whose hearts are being softened that they might hear that hope. And so we must be sure that we are not hardening our hearts against them uh, any more than, than others are hardening their hearts against God. And we need to have soft hearts ourselves that reach out to others with soft hearts and bring them the hope of the gospel that they might be saved through these judgments just as we are being saved through them as well. And so God is bringing judgment upon the world. He is bringing salvation from the world. And thirdly, God is bringing victory over the world. God is bringing victory over the world. Back in chapter 7, we said that the numbering of the 144,000 that were sealed was laid out like a census that would have been taken in the Old Testament for military purposes. And the idea being that the church in this life is militant. It is engaged in a spiritual struggle. It is engaged in a battle. And the trumpet judgments here in chapter 8 pick up on this theme. Because just as the discerning reader would have read of the, the first four trumpets and, and seen the reference to the plagues of Egypt in the Exodus narratives, uh, there's another story that we should pick up on as we read chapter 8. Because there's one Old Testament story, uh, and, and really only one, that we should think of when we read of seven angels blowing seven trumpets. And that's the fall of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, where seven priests blow seven trumpets. When you have the, this context of the church militant, you have the context of the church engaged in spiritual battle with seven figures blowing seven trumpets. That's a reference back to the fall 
of Jericho. And like the trumpet judgments, uh, the blowing of the trumpets at Jericho were actually preceded by silence as well. In Joshua 6, verse 10, it says, But Joshua had commanded the troops, Do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say shout. Then you are to shout. And so the blowing of the trumpets at Jericho were preceded by a time of silence. And back in chapter 8, verse 1 of Revelation, we saw this period of silence that then gets interrupted by the trumpets being blown. Then the Ark of the Covenant, which plays such a central role in the fall of Jericho, makes an appearance in Revelation chapter 11 when the seventh trumpet is finally blown. And the imagery that that is being used here is that of God using the blowing of trumpets to overthrow a seemingly impregnable enemy. The trumpet judgments are really the toppling of the defenses of this world. And that is the the imagery that we're given here in Revelation chapter 8, set in the context of Revelation chapter 7, is you have the church militant. You have the church sealed and living in this church age in these last days. And they are engaged in this spiritual battle against an enemy that seems impregnable. And yet God, as he did at Jericho, causes trumpets to be blown, that the defenses of that impregnable enemy might topple, that the church might win the victory, that God's people might win the victory. And so God, even in the midst of these judgments, assures his people of victory. He assures them that even as though they live through these trumpet judgments, even as they live through the judgments that characterize the church age, that victory is coming at the end of them, that they are all pointing towards a final, uh, a final point in history where God's will will ultimately and finally be done. And this should change the way that we respond to the things that we live through, uh, things like COVID-19 or any of the uh, seemingly endless series of economic upheavals and, and natural disasters that we're experiencing in 2020. And we mentioned the windstorms in Iowa. Uh, as we record this towards the end of August, Hurricane Laura is bearing down on the Gulf Coast, um, expected to be upgraded to a Category 4 before it makes landfall. There are all of these things that we are living through that we are experiencing. And you can fill it in for whatever, whenever you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, things that are happening in your own life uh, that are tearing at the seams of the, the world that you live in. And there's a temptation as we go through these things to despair, uh, to despair as life as we know it comes to an end. Uh, we're entering the, the culmination of the 2020 election season and there's all this fear and despair that uh, about the end of America, uh, of course, stretching back four plus years ago with Make America Great Again and, and all of the worry that America is not once what it used to be. And there's this temptation to despair when life as we know it comes to an end. And yet, for the believer in Jesus Christ, 
We should be experiencing, experiencing these events that end life as we know it with a different perspective than the unbeliever. Whereas the unbeliever can and maybe should despair at the end of life as they know it. We should be experiencing these events with anticipation, anticipating victory. Because these events that we are experiencing are the tremors that will cause the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down, that our God might ride in victorious. And that is the reminder that we are given with these callbacks to Exodus, with these callbacks to the the fall of Jericho. And we will see that even more as we go through the trumpet judgments. But we are being reminded that God still is in control. That Jesus does reign over all things and he is putting all things under his feet. And that is the comfort that we are to have in these uncertain times. That is the comfort that we are to have no matter what we are living through in this life. That even the upheaval that we experience are the tremors that are bringing the walls of Jericho down. They are ending this world and its system aligned against God that he might ride into Jericho victorious. And so that is where the trumpet judgments are, are pointing us to. That yes, the, the trumpet is a call of judgment, and these judgments are being experienced throughout these last days. But it is also a call of victory. For the unbeliever, it signals judgment coming upon them. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, these are all things that symbolize victory. And again, it doesn't necessarily make sense uh, in terms of the world's perspective, but in terms of the gospel perspective and the revelation perspective, it makes perfect sense. And we saw this again back in chapter 7 with the the contradictory uh, message that we are victorious through the defeat of the cross, that we are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. It is the contradiction of the cross that allows us to see even upheaval, even death, as signs of victory. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are believers in Jesus Christ, then no matter what you are experiencing today, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's a a natural disaster, whether it's economic uh, distress, whatever it is that you are going through, even when it, it feels like death, even when it is death. For the believer in Jesus Christ, even those things are signs of victory because our victory ultimately comes through the seeming defeat of the cross. Thank you for joining us today as we've looked at the first four trumpet judgments, and we'll pick up next time in Revelation chapter 9.